Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at vkcwest.com. has changed since last Easter. The world has been shaken. Life has been disrupted. What we once called normal seems like it may never return. It's been easy to be discouraged, to lose hope, to feel the foundations of our faith begin to crumble. It's hard to keep our feet planted when the ground beneath feels like shifting sand. Now more than ever, we need to stand on the truth of Easter, a day which changed our eternity, changed our world forever. Death was defeated by life. Sin was consumed by mercy. The grave was swallowed up by victory. See, even in the darkest of moments, the love of Jesus could not be stopped. His faithfulness could not be broken. And when the dust settled, Jesus, he stood alive and victorious. Today, may we remember the truth of Easter, the power of the resurrection, and the promise of eternity. Yes, the world has been shaken, but the grave... It's still empty. And Jesus, he's still risen. Yeah, so, you know, like you in the last year, you know, you look for you look for stable in the midst of this time and, and you look for what's strong. And I know that for me is, is the, everything fell apart in the last year. It's like, man, the only thing that's standing, and, and I know from my perspective, uh, is, is Jesus. You know, like everything else is falling around. I mean, you know, sports weren't happening. Everything, everything that was normal wasn't happening. And so Jesus is still risen and he's still alive again. And so as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus today, um, I, I just want to recognize this. Uh, maybe like me when I, you know, you, maybe you're like me. Maybe you're not a believer in Jesus. Like I, I went to church when I was 15 years old and I had no clue. I had no grid. You may be online or here in the building and, and, um, and not believe. You're, you're not a follower of Jesus. And, and I just want to let you know we're so glad you're here. And, and today's a great day for you to be here um, to, to, to hear about this. But I do want to address those of us that say we believe uh, when it comes to the resurrection. Uh, I want to push on us a little bit uh, because I think that uh, sometimes we kind of put the resurrection of Jesus into just this kind of normal category or just kind of another thing amongst other things that we believe and, and it's something when actually the resurrection is absolutely everything. Uh, the New Testament ripples out from this core of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of the theology, all of the doctrines, all of the belief that you see in the New Testament writings is from this idea of the resurrection. Uh, Paul, who was uh, one of the early followers of Jesus, he actually, and he wrote most of the New Testament, he actually said, unless Jesus is risen from the grave, your faith is absolutely in vain. 
Like you're still in your sins. Nothing's changed. Just you're, you're believing a fairy tale. You're absolutely believing a fairy tale of Jesus that hasn't risen from the grave. And so the resurrection of Jesus is everything. It's absolutely everything to our faith and the truth. Now, John, who wrote the gospel that we're going to read uh, of his resurrection account today, uh, he was one of the earliest followers of Jesus. And he was a fisherman. And so much like other followers, Jesus came upon him one day and he said, follow me. And so John lays down his nets and he follows Jesus and, and goes after him. But John wrote a bunch of books in the New Testament too. And he wrote the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. And in there, Revelations 21, verse 5, Jesus said this to him, it's recorded. Look, I am making everything new. And I would guess that even though this is years later, even decades later, later after the resurrection of Jesus, that John would have been super excited about that because it framed everything for him, to, for him to know, like, what are you doing through the resurrection? Like, we know it happened. We know you're alive. We know you did this, but what are you doing? And he's doing exactly that. He's making absolutely all things new. That's what God's doing through the resurrection. So it brought clarity for John. It can bring clarity for us. So if you have a Bible or app or whatnot, you can turn to John chapter 20. That's where we're going to end up today. But as we read this, realize that as humans, we look for homeostasis. And homeostasis is, is like the ideal environment for life to happen in our minds, right? Some of us may have different places of homeostasis, but think normal, right? Your mind right now, like when you're uncomfortable, you just want a normal situation. You just want things to be normal again. And I just want to encourage you today that you're, you're, hopefully you don't get normal because Jesus is making everything new. And his new is an absolutely new way to live. It's a new kind of humanity. It's a new life. And it's actually what everybody is working towards. Every person on the face of the earth, whether they're doing bad things or good things in our mind, is trying to reach this place of good, according to them. But it's found in Jesus. It's found in this person of Jesus. And so if we want this new kind of humanity in Jesus we actually have to surrender other ways of humanity. We have to surrender those other ways that are maybe more comfortable to get that new life. I knew for me, um, I met Jesus when I was 15 years old. I had never gone to church before. I walked into a vineyard church in San Luis Obispo, California, and, and, and a bunch of people, I just went there because they had video games. Uh, it was right up the, the walkway from my high school, and so I went in there. And, and I noticed, though, that they loved me and they fed me. And coming from a broken home, and I'm just like, my mom lived two hours away. I'm like, yes, I found my people, you know. But, but then they told me about Jesus, and, and you know, and I, I, I believed. But what I found out is that um, is this life that he offered me was the best life ever. It was absolutely the best life ever, and I'm still exploring it after, after, after 30 years. And so C.S. Lewis, the author, he said this. He said, uh, Give up yourself and you'll find your real self. And so to find your real self, to get this life that Jesus has, you have to give up that other self. But here's the new way to be human from Jesus. Humans that walk in freedom, peace, joy, and unity. Isn't that what everybody, you look, and that's what they're trying to work for? Humanity where all is forgiven. 
Humanity where all is being made right and humanity where all things are being made new. That's what's possible through the resurrection of Jesus. That's what's possible through this event that we're looking at today. So we're going to look a little bit deeper together. So John chapter 20, verse one says early on this on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And so Mary was a really, really early follower of Jesus. And Jesus had a huge impact upon her life. She was set free of just so much stuff. And so she was broken at this point. You know, Jesus died. Her friend, her, her rabbi, her, her teacher had died brutally. And she shows up at the tomb on this early Sunday morning, the, the first Easter Sunday morning. And the stone was no longer at the entrance. And so these stones, imagine just a big, huge round stone, 2,000 pounds, 2,000 pound stone. And there'd be a channel, uh, it kind of up on a hill, and then the entrance would be here. And when they would seal the tomb, when the dead person was put in there, the, it, would be roll, it would roll down into this channel. So 2,000 pounds. And so you have gravity working against you. And, you know, I, I, have, I have three gym rats in my family. I have three teenage boys and all they do is work out, it seems like. And it helps me because every day, dad, you going to the gym, you going to the gym. And they're just, they're getting so strong and big, but there's no way these guys could lift. I mean, 2,000 pounds. I mean, it's just, that's radical. 2,000 pounds of pure stone and it's up against there. And so the stone, was it rolled into the, uh, out of the trough now. It was removed from the entrance. It was out of the way. And it wasn't removed so that Jesus could get out. The other gospels share that Jesus actually was already out, but it was removed so that you and I could go in so that we could see that the tomb was empty. And so in verse two, it says, she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. The other disciples, John, who's writing, they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Don't you love it? Don't you love it? This is the kind of stuff that lawyers and judges and, and, and those that are in legal um, industry, they actually look for this to see if it's true. They look for these kind of details. Because if you're telling a lie or you're making something up, you just tell the bullet points. Here's this, here's this. But these kind of details add the flavor to it that shows this was absolutely. A so John was younger than Peter, we think probably. And so he's saying, hey, I got there first. Um, uh, verse five, it says, he stooped and looked and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. So John's personality is very much, and you may be this way. You see something out of the ordinary, you see something interesting, you say, okay, you know what? I'm gonna stop and ponder this a little bit. I'm not gonna jump in right away. Uh, then Simon Peter arrived and went inside and he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. So Peter's personality is rambunctious and just, just spur of the moment. I'm just, you know, what are we waiting for? Let's go. Uh, you see that all throughout the gospels. And so he just dives right in to the tomb and he's sitting there and it says that he noticed the linen, linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. So the, what they would do when a person died is they would, they would wrap them in these cloths and they would put these aloes and these ointments on them uh, to help preserve things and keep things in a, in a tight package per se, to use a lack of better term. But even after three days, 
to remove somebody from these, you would have probably had to, to use a knife to, to cut it loose because it would have hardened. And so the picture is, is that you have the wrappings that would have been on Jesus from, from uh, below his neck down. And then you had a separate wrapping that was about a neck's length away. And it wasn't that they were unraveled. It's just that it's as if Jesus was there and then wasn't. And that's how they were left. This is the scene that they came on. And so verse eight, verse eight and nine, it says, then the, the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. So this, this tomb, uh, it was a rich man's tomb. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea gave his tomb to Jesus. And the opening would have been about three feet high and, and, and two and a half feet wide. And so it took a commitment to, to, to go and look in there. It took commitment to go and look in. And uh, John is the exception to most Christians during this time, the early followers, because the majority of the disciples or anybody that believed at this time, uh, they, they didn't actually believe because they saw the empty tomb. I mean, that helped with the evidence, but they believed because they experienced Jesus. See, Jesus from this point over the next 40 days had gatherings, uh, maybe this size, all the way up to 500 people. It's recorded history. Jesus, after rising from the grave, had groups of people that he would get together with. Every once, there'd be one-on-ones that he would have. And sometimes with just his, his 12 disciples uh, or 11 disciples at that point. Uh, but he would have these meetings with people. That's how they believed because they had that experience. John, on the other hand, he believed like you and I, which is the tomb is empty. I'm looking at the evidence. Do I believe? And so that's what he looked at. Now, Jesus is alive again. He's on the loose, right? I mean, uh, he's, he's out and about. I mean, you, you may have been sick at a certain point and, and after you're sick for a few days and you just, you can't wait to get back out again. Jesus was dead in the tomb for three days and he's walking back around. His disciples would have loved this more than anybody. See, they lived life with Jesus, like they were his roommates. They were the ones that traveled with him, that walked with him, that, that laughed with him. Uh, they were there when Jesus uh, called children to him. And I don't know what you think about Jesus, but I would think that Jesus probably wrestled with the children. You know, I know for me as a kid, like there was dads that wrestled with their kids and then there was dads that didn't wrestle with their kids. Jesus was a wrestle guy he would have been wrestling with them and having fun with them and laughing with them and tickling them. And I think that's who Jesus was. They were there when Jesus did that. They were there when they were at a wedding and, and, and they ran out of wine. And so, so Jesus at this great party, they're having a good time. And, and Jesus' mother comes to him. It's his first recorded miracle. And, and they say, hey, we're out of wine. And Jesus is you know, like, oh, come on. And, and, but he listens to his mother. And so, see, he, he makes this wine out of water. They're sitting there like, wow, who are we with? This, is, this guy knows how to party. This guy knows how to have a good time. I mean, that's the Jesus that they knew. And he was the Jesus that pushed against the religious authorities that, that actually said that they were close to God, but they were actually shown to be on the outside with God. They knew so much, but their hearts were so cold towards people, which revealed their cold hearts towards God. 
And Jesus set things right. And the, the people that felt like they could never come to, G, to God or be with God, Jesus actually showed, hey, actually, the gates are wide open because of me. You can come on in and be with God. They were there where he healed uh, ears of people that couldn't hear, where he healed eyes where they, they couldn't see, or where he touched lepers and and where the outcasts were brought in, they saw all of that. And so they thought everything was changing. They thought everything was going to get better. They thought this was the time. This is where the Romans would be kicked out of Israel. This is where things would be better. But Jesus died. On that Thursday and Friday, he was arrested. He was, per, he was, um, he was beaten. Uh, he was spat upon. He was called names. A crown of thorns, an of, of, uh, inch and a half to two inch thorns was, was pressed down on his head. He was, his, his back was, was whipped and torn apart. And, and, and the idea is that was communicated is that it was like you couldn't tell that he was a man, that it was just, he was that poorly beaten. And then after all of that, he was given the, the horizontal beam of the cross uh, strapped to his back and he had to carry that up the hill to die. And, and they watched all of this and then he died and they were probably hoping that maybe he wouldn't, but he did. And so the fact that Jesus has now risen from the grave and that he's alive again made all the difference for these people, except there was one. There was one of the disciples, none of them expected it. They were so surprised. But there was one that said, come on, come on. What are you guys talking about? And so it's Thomas. They call him Doubting Thomas. For over 2,000 years, Thomas is known as the one that doubts. He's the, he's the forerunner of the enlightenment of the 17th and 18th century where, where everything became about science and empirical and rational thinking and, and being a realist and the idea that, that miracles don't happen because it goes against science and, and it goes against just even any good thinking whatsoever. So how could miracles happen? You know, over the years as a pastor, I get so excited about the resurrection of Jesus because it's the core of my faith, the core of my belief. And people will tell me, well, well, Cody, that just doesn't happen. People don't rise from the dead when they're dead. And I said, exactly. Exactly. That's what we're celebrating. Something impossible has happened and only God could do it. But Thomas is like, come on, really? And so let's read about Thomas. Verse 24 of John 20, it says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others. When Jesus came, they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. And so he wanted to test it. The problem was though, is he had a bias. He had a bias. The bias was, is that he didn't believe it. And the number one like nemesis against the scientific method is this, is that if you have a bias, you're out. You can't have a bias for or against. I mean, that influences how you look at it. But Thomas wasn't that bad because he had another quality that was actually better. The quality of being honest. He had this quality of being honest and he's, he's honest about his doubts. And because he's honest about his doubts with Jesus, he experiences Jesus face to face. So eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, so the idea is, is that Jesus like walked into the room, not through the door. 
He has a new body, a resurrected body, a perfect body, right? Anybody need that after the donuts that I served you over there, right? That's what you're gonna get for all of eternity is a perfect body like Jesus. You get to walk through stuff. But it says, the doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. What a difference from, I will only believe if I have this, to my Lord and my God. He worshiped him. And for a Jew of this time to do that, you better be right about what you're doing because there's only one God and you only worship him. And he's saying, you are that one. So in verse 29, it says, then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Hence us, fast forward all these years. That's people today believing in that place. And so, you know, Thomas was honest about his barrier. He, he, he stated it. I think there's a little bit today, and I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe us Christians have, have made this environment, but it seems like um, there's this kind of this idea that if you have doubts that you can't believe. You're like, wait a minute, I, if I have doubts, I'm not gonna believe. Well, as I look at the New Testament, it's actually filled with people just like you and I that, that believe, but they have doubts. Um, that, that follow, but they're still figuring it out. And the reason you do that is a sign of the true humanity of Jesus and actually the truth of Jesus because he's a real person. You see, if you just subscribe to like an idea, well, then you either believe the idea or not. But if, if it's a person, then you get to know the person. And that's what Thomas had experienced here is he brought this doubt, but he was honest with Jesus and he met him and everything was changed at that point. Now, Thomas, he followed Jesus like he was all in after this. He actually became the first missionary to, to India. He actually brought the gospel to India. And like the rest of the disciples, uh, he gave up his life for faith in Jesus, besides John, who lived into good old age. He gave everything for him. And you know, five of the many reasons to believe in the resurrection of Jesus is the empty tomb. It's still empty today. You can take a trip and you can go there with real surety that that's the tomb of Jesus. It's still empty. No one's there. The appearances of Jesus. Uh, large crowds, up to 500 like we talked about. He was around these people. It's documented. Uh, the transformed disciples. The, tr the disciples were absolute cowards, you guys. There was, a, there, you know, they were absolute cowards, 11 of them. I mean, if you, if you watch football, I mean, you would love to play this team. I mean, they were absolutely just running away from the game. They didn't want to fight. They, nobody wanted the ball. Nobody was going for it. But within just a short amount of time, they were absolutely changed and they shook up the entire world. They shook up the entire world, which that's the next thing is the impact upon history. Look at the impact upon history that the resurrection of Jesus has had. And also the experience of billions and billions of people. So what's your part? What's my part? We read this story, we read the resurrection, what's my part? John writes in the first chapter of the same gospel, he says that all who believed, God gave them the right to be children of God. 
All who believe, they gave him the right to be children of God. And you say, well, wait a minute, I thought I already was a child of God. Well, there's a difference between like being a child and then like being with your parent and experiencing life with them. There's an idea with that. And, and so that's what it's talking about, experiencing the fullness of life that God has for you. That's all of our part. So I wanna ask you, will you receive him today if you haven't received him? Will you give your life to him today if you haven't given it to him? Because it's good news. You say, good news, come on. There's all kinds of stuff I can't do, Cody. I've, I've, I've heard about this. Well, let me tell you this. That's what I thought too. And, uh, and I pushed the limits on this. The first, you know, coming to Christ at 15 and coming from a completely irreligious home, we, we never went to church, we never did anything. I pushed the limits on, on what this thing looks like, what I can and can't do, you know? And it was, it was pretty interesting. Definitely not a straight line. Still is interesting sometimes. But Jesus says that he offers life and life abundant to all people. And that's why Paul wrote this. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says that here's the most important information. So like if you get anything today, or if, or if, if anybody gets anything, get this. Here's the gospel. Here's the good news. That Christ died for your sins. That he was in the grave for three days. And then he rose from the dead. That's the gospel. That's the good news. You say, wait a minute. Died for my sins. What are you saying? What sin? The New Testament says that sin, it uses two words. It talks about trespassing. So, you know, if you're hiking your favorite trail and it says this trail's closed for, for reparation or whatever, and you say, ah, but I love that trail. And you walk on there. Or you're out here hunting or doing whatever and it says no trespassing. You're like, yeah, but I'm going to... I'm going to get something over there. And you, you walk in there, you trespass, you sinned. In other words, you went against the way that it was set to be. The other word that's used speaks of like missing the mark. So you're, you're, you're an archer and you have five arrows and you've got the bullseye and you hit four bullseyes, one after another. But on the fifth one, you go a little bit to the right. You miss the mark, you sin. And so Romans 3.23 says that for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. So what God set out, we've all missed that mark. We've all trespassed against that. Uh, to put it in another term, like um, we have a fireplace at our house. We keep the fire in the fireplace. If we move it to the middle of the living room and put it on the carpet, things go bad, don't they? See, the place that it's supposed to be is in the fireplace. That's where it's safe. Now, do I say to the fireplace or the builder, like, what are you doing? Why can't I have a fire here? Like, why can't I just put my fire wherever I want? Well, it's going to hurt you. And so God isn't this great killjoy saying to you, oh, you can't have any fun. Everything that you want to do and that you do on your own, you're simply trying to fulfill that yourself instead of God's way. And it hurts us though. And so it's actually a rescue of God intervening in time and space. And that's what God did. Romans 6.23 says that for the wages of sin is death or separation from God. Put it this way. Here's God's path. Here's your path. And the reason you get separation is, is like his path is going this way. You're going that way. It's just real simple. It's not terribly complicated. But it says that 
The free gift of God is eternal life with Jesus. Why? Because while we were still sinners, God sent Jesus to die for us. So he didn't wait for us to get right. He didn't wait for us to fix it ourselves. He sent Jesus when we were still messed up to make things right. You know, as we think about this, like, there's no one like Jesus. No one has ever lived that's like Jesus, fully God and fully man. He's the only one that could do this. He's the only one that could make things right between God and people and between us and one another. He's the only one that can do it. And this idea of like a way and like God intervening as we go on our way. Um, I heard, I was at dinner this week and I heard about Humero Medina. And he is the grandfather of a family friend. And I heard his story. He was, uh, his parents passed away when he was young. And so he lived with his sister in, in Mexico and a uh, dirt floor, uh, not very much food. Uh, they were very poor. And uh, Pancho Villa, so in the early 1900s, Pancho Villa was in this revolution and Pancho Villa recruited Humero as an enforcer. So think the six shooter and the leather chaps, right? I mean, you are not joking, like serious stuff. That was Humero, tough man. Well, at the end of the revolution, everything was done and he was on his way to kill a man because he wronged him during the revolution. He was on his way that he chose to go kill a man. And on the way, there was these uh, there was uh, these watering ways that they would use to water the irrigation in the area and, and these ravines. And on the way, as he's going there, there was a baptism happening. He's going to kill a man, change his life, change his family's life. All of everybody's going to change. Everything's going to change. And he sees a baptism happening. He stops and he hears about Jesus. God intervened in this man's life and he was baptized that day. That's such a clear picture of how God works. We are all on our way if we're not going God's way. And it may not be to kill a man today, but what are you on your way to do? See, you may not think that what you're about to do or where you're headed and and you may think that it's far off, But here's what I know with how we mess up our lives. We actually, when we end up at, we look at our life, we say, man, I've messed this up. This is bad. We actually, see, we think like, how did I get here? A mentor of mine actually did a study uh, for his PhD and looked at uh, moral failures of leaders and Christian leaders. And they they said, and, and they all said this, I had no idea how I got there. It was just like all of a sudden I was here and then I was there and I ruined my complete life, my career, my family, everything. And it was this, he put it this way. It was, see, it was way over there where they messed up their life. It was way over there. But the problem was, is that they were pulling on a rope day after day after day, just a little, just a little, just a little. And the same is with our way. We walk down our path, whether it's Humera, where I'm going to kill a man, or it's something else, and we're, we ultimately will wreck our lives. That's why God says, look, you're sinning. You're doing things in ways that are away from my ways. Here's my way. Will you have it? I've done everything. I've prepared everything. Will you receive it? 
That's what God offers to all of us, just like Humero. Now, Humero, two of his sons became pastors. You're like, well, that's impressive for you. But, you know, I don't know, what if he became like me? And the point is this, is that they became a part of, not that the pastor is the ultimate career, but they became a part of what God was doing, God's redemptive work. But, I mean, imagine if maybe he had killed the man. I don't know, what, what would they have become? What would have happened? Um, the woman, that, that's her grandfather. She lives here in Kansas City, married to a family friend. I mean, Look how their lives are different. She has children. Their children are different because of this. Generations after generations after generations have received blessing instead of cursing because God intervened at that moment. But most importantly, Humero received it and responded. And so we're gonna pray. And and I wanna give you that opportunity. I wanna give you that opportunity, whether you're online or here, to, to receive Jesus as well, to go his way instead of your way. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your great love for us. We thank you for the power of your resurrection that changes even us, God. And so just while we're praying today, just heads are bowed um, and you're here. um, If that's you, you whether you're online or here and, and you're saying, yeah, you know what? I need God to intervene in my life like he did into Humero's life. I need God to intervene in my life like he did Thomas's life. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer in your heart, uh, just in the quietness of your heart. Lord, come into my life. I am in need of a Savior. I ask you to wash me and cleanse me and make me new. I believe that you died for my sin and that you rose again from the dead. So now fill me with new life by your spirit. I now make you Savior and Lord of my life. Thanks for listening this week. If you are looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, go to vkcwest.com. 